guys. Welcome back. It's Carl Fulham, coming at you. The only podcast to take place in a 2010 Honda Civic. That's absolutely a fact, as far as we know. We checked all the other know. Civics just before we hit record. I forgot to tell you, I actually did listen to every podcast yesterday you just to make sure. Each one. Each one. And no, 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 the other ones. What about a 2011? I bet there's a bunch of idiots doing a podcast in a 2011 Honda Civic. So in my research, I was able to find at least 12 podcasts taking place in a 2011 Honda Civic. What, what are they doing there? A bunch of like a bunch of feminist rant shows? No, no. It's just a lot of weed. Just a lot of weed. Just a lot of weed shows. Talk and shop. Yeah. And weed shows are really boring, actually. About busting the old reefs. Yeah. It's just like, so they like, you know, they're talking about farms and stuff. And then it's like, bro, I'm so high every three minutes, which is... Can I interest you in this the course of this discussion with enjoying one of my jazz cigarettes? <laughs> I love the term jazz cigarette. I don't really care for weed at all, but I adore the term jazz cigarettes. I wish I had more opportunities to say it, but being the clean-cut version of us, I do not. Yeah, that's too bad. Yeah. That's too bad. Well... Let's jump right into it. So we kind of talked last week uh, about what show. we wanted to talk about this right. week, and I think it's important, kind of a, some more groundwork to be laid as far as establishing some points of view. I think we're going to talk this week about the history and the ideology behind postmodernism. Yeah, I think that's key because I, I think, as, I, as we were kind of alluding to last week, it's like... The detachment from meaning is probably the biggest thing we have to work against. And so I think the problem is that when we say uh, a phrase, something like my truth my truth versus your truth, what does that mean and how does that play out and where does that idea come from? And the answer is... And where does that idea take you? Right. And the answer to that is, well, it's postmodernism. Okay. Well, where does postmodernism take you? You know? And so... Uh, right. Right, it's absolutely postmodernist, and and we'll get into all of this. But you know, there's a lot of there is a lot of culturally relevant phenomena that are occurring right now right. that are derivative of postmodern thinking. Correct. The probably the most prevalent one is democratic socialism in America. I would sure. say. Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's also neo and cultural Marxism. Mm. Those are almost synonyms, and. They're really two different ways of describing the same phenomena. Uh, communism ar- ar- gave was given rise to out of postmodern thinking. Right. So, uh, and, and when you look at the evidence, postmodernism is has been disastrous in its effects in the 20th century. Yeah. And I don't think there's much. De- I don't think it's up for much debate. It's not debatable. So let's go back to the beginning and talk about well. When God created the earth... Yep. No, I'm just kidding. That's yeah. too far back. Oh, is it? Let's scale I thought it. that was the exact right place to start. <laughs> Let's actually. scale it forward. Actually, okay. that's a really interesting discussion. So we'll, t- we'll take it from in the beginning to, I don't know, first day of creation, start there. We in the just, beginning, yeah. there was... Chapter 1 and 2 are dry. The medieval ages. Yeah. Let's start go. there. There we go. So in the medieval ages, you had a couple of things working against the general population. Good God, get your oil changed. You had a couple of things working against... That's transmission, the but general, sure. Oh, transmission fluid. Yeah. I'm no mechanic. Yeah. Um, a couple of things working against the common folk, the peasantry. Right. We were essentially dominated by monarchs, and the vast majority of us were, were uneducated. Right? And there's this darn thing called the Pope. 
this darn thing called the Pope, which was just a, it was a monarch with a taller but less shiny hat than yeah. the other monarchs. Mm-hmm. And so... This, a lot of things happened all at once, like in the 1500s. Is that where we want to start? Like, Give or take. Like, uh, yeah, let's jump in wherever you want but I think I think so like I think there's three things right okay like that that like really make a difference here that well I think most people want to have the conversation like this uh, to talk about postmodernism, we have to talk about modernism. Right, that's where I was going. But I don't think you want to start at modernism because I think that I think that kind of sells the argue. I think that sells the thing short of what really happened because like, well, we're think, talking about the Enlightenment, right? Yeah, the birth so be- of modernism. So, be- so where did the Enlightenment Enlightenment come from? And that's the medieval ages, right? Exactly. But like in the 1500s, you had this thing called the Reformation, which basically said, "Hey, the Pope's dumb." And they don't get to decide everything for us, and we can ask questions and make decisions about, you know, religion without having to uh, have some guy in a silly hat tell us how to act. Right, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but this is also commiserate with the birth of the Anglican Church, which in turn gave rise to the Protestant movement So a few hundred years later. Yeah, I mean, like, it's all Luther. Right. It's all Martin Luther, and all that comes from him. So, yes, like, okay. it's, all, it's all tied together. Uh, and then it's like... We, you know, along with that, you know, one of the reasons we were able to have the Protestant Reformation is because you have this crazy thing, you know, the printing press and like the Gutenberg revolution. Right. And so now we can have, we can print Bibles and we can print a lot of Bibles and we can put those Bibles into, you know, people's everyday tongue and we can, you know, make new translations and things. But not only Bibles, we can also, I mean, that's how the Reformation gets started. But not only Bibles, we can also have books. And books are cheap. And we're, and reading becomes more of a necessary thing, a part of your everyday life. It's, kind of like we were talking about last week. Right. About blogs. Exactly. Where we've hit this tipping point where maybe content is too cheap to create. Correct. Uh, to make it viable in a certain sense. Right. But we've reached this point where... The cost, and I'm saying we, in the Middle Ages, they reached this point where the Gutenberg Revolution made information much cheaper and therefore disseminable. Right. And so then I think there's also some like really, really, really great thinkers that come out of this time, like Leonardo da Vinci. And these are guys that are like... Who? I'm just kidding. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and like these are like the, the Renaissance guys are like really setting the stage along for the Enlightenment, which is like... I mean, Leonardo creates flying machines on a piece of paper before that's even a concept of what of something we can do. Right, something that wouldn't be realized until literally 300 plus years later. Descartes is cutting up human bodies and like or animal bodies. I think I think Descartes may have done some animal stuff. I know. I Leonardo think he got did. some humans on the DL. Yes, he didn't write it in his journal, but pretty sure that guy is a freak. Right, and like they're cutting these people up and they're looking at them and they're like, "Oh, this is complex machinery," and it's like, "No, Descartes, that's those are called organs." You know, we'll get there. But the point being that this is really start these three major things. People like asking hard questions and really looking at science, being able to read, and the church kind of losing its authority in a strange way. Monarchs in general losing their authority. Right, and I would also, I guess you can add the fourth pillar here, the rise of mercantilism kicks off off the enlightenment, basically. Gets us ready to have that experience. Right, and so as far, just to tie this all back to America, give me your four major pillars again. Because you didn't one two three four them for me. Sure. So it's, I'm a simple man. I know, and I'm I, I don't I don't speak in bullet points. Uh, mercantilism. Yep. Uh, printing press. Yes. Protestant Reformation. 
Yes. And then, like, the Renaissance uh, scientists that's, you know, searching for, like... The thinkers. The thinkers, Okay. So, and what I love about this is um, when you examine where those ideas have gone, so just to tie it back to the present Mm -hmm. for now, mercantilism was infantile capitalism. Yeah. Uh, The loss of the power of the monarchs was infantile Protestantism. Yeah, exactly. And the the questioning of authority is the it's the birth, it is the genesis of the individual becoming the primary unit by which a civilization is organized. Correct. All of these things are part and parcel to Western culture. It is what you would have to used to describe the West. Right. You need the, you need these you need at least these four things. And they may be some of the most principal four things to get right. Western society. And I know society. you atheists out there are pissed that we bring up Protestantism. Yeah. Just you're wrong. And we'll talk about that in another episode. Just know that you're wrong. Well and that's so I think we have to like get a little bit into that because I mean really the thing is we have to have science before you can have modernism, right? Like we have to have complex ideas and the ability to test those complex ideas. And guess what? That means we have to have science. And the crazy part is science kind of gets kicked off by the church or people that were extremely religious. True. And Um, that's not to discount that the, the pre enlightenment church dissuaded many scientists. No, uh, you, you disagree. I'm sorry. I meant I'm. I'm. You're saying the pre-enlightenment church didn't dissuade scientists. Dissuaded many scientists. To some extent, they did. To some and extent, killed a few and did that kind of thing. It's kind of one of those things where it's like judging on the curve, right? Like, uh, yeah, I'm yeah, saying, but yeah, you're right. They definitely killed people for saying stuff, right? <laughs> um, so I just want to. I want to be intellectually fair there. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. But you're right. So we have this idea of science, and so let's talk about the birth of science in the Enlightenment era. Yeah. And then how that leads to modernism in a lot of ways. Yeah. 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 So we have a system that's set out, and they're like, well, we've been clinging on to these myths and these legends and these theories about how the world is organized and the body is made up of right. heat cold uh earth and air or whatever they were i can't there is god shouting yeah yeah exactly yeah and crying is the devil beating his wife i'm sorry rain (laughs) is the devil beating his wife have you is that a thing do you know that saying no no if it rains while the sun is shining shining the devil's beating the devil's beating his wife is how you describe that wild is that like is that i have no idea where the etymology comes from okay to be continued Listeners, but, but that's a, I love that saying. I don't know why it's so uh, archaic sounding. It's like yeah. it's so folksy. Does the devil have sons? Yes. I mean, like that's I'm I, like now I just want to talk. Where about do you this think for... Johnny Cash came from? Huh? Oh my! And Merle Haggard. Yeah. You know what though? Hmm. His mama tried. So that's true. I turned twenty-one in prison doing life without parole. Well, that is well, the best song of all time. Yeah, I love that song. I have no idea what it is. I've uh, heard it in my life. Mama tried by Merle Haggard. Okay, look it up. So anyhow, you've got this system of thinking that it's like, okay, let's let's become more skeptical. We've discovered we sure. have the ability to disseminate information amongst ourselves, and because of that, the, an individual, a single person, can be way smarter than they were before. They can have way more information and leverage that information together to find efficiencies of scale. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. And so you really have the birth of the idea 
of jack of all trades, master of one. Most people think it's master of none. It's actually jack of all trades, master of one. Before, you were a tradesman, you were a craftsman, you were a master of one, but now you could be a jack of all trades, right? Because you had the ability to acquire information very, very cheaply. Mm, Okay. And so, and you had the ability to disseminate information very, very cheaply if you were cheaply, if you were the type of person that could, could elucidate a specific point. Okay. Here's an ambulance for you guys. This is fun. Pulling over. Adios. All right. So, anyhow, now you have you have the ability to be the Vertuvian man, uh, the Renaissance uh-huh. man, uh-huh. and so they started saying, "Okay, we have all this ability to learn, and we we can gather data now, and because we have that ability, you know what? Maybe some of these presuppositions that we held on to, we held on to for the wrong reasons. Correct. And they were like, "Let's become more skeptical as a society." Let's become more interested in observation. And so what they, what they did was they came up with the scientific method, is that the world is, in a, is full of observable phenomena, and by observing and repeating those phenomena and measuring the results, you can glean useful and correct information about the nature of reality. And for a lot of these early guys, not only is it the exact you know, statement Chris made, but it was also like religious too. Cause it was like, we're going to learn about God's reality. Sure. We're going to learn about how God made the universe. We're going to learn about how all these things piece together. Like when Newton was playing around with gravity, he didn't think he was. <laughs> I just thinking, yeah. I just, it's, it's like tickled me. I think it's like Newton in the, uh, like half-life two. Is yeah, what exactly. Yeah, it's like, Whoa! like portal, portal Newton. There's an apple following him everywhere. Screwing around yeah, behind him. Exactly. Uh, but you know, like when Newton was like playing around with gravity, like it was really religious for him too. Not only was it, you know, something he was looking at and figuring out and Pascal and all these guys, it's just, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a hard, it's something that's hard for people to think about because it seems science is so devoid of that superstition today. But the birth of science is, you know, from people who the scientists today would say are very, very, you know, they believe in stories, you know, myths, fairy tales. So it's just it's just an interesting birth of right. the dream into something more concrete in a way. Right. And if you are the type of person that rejects the notion that society always advances towards progress, which by the way you should if you've been paying attention for the last I don't know 200 years, <laughs> then then you might come up with the at least the curiosity is if we hadn't lost anything since then. I would argue that we have. Yeah, exactly. And so and we'll get to it. Well, I think that I think now yeah, we're, we're at it, right? So now we're at so so this is modernism. What we've been building up to was the Enlightenment, how the Enlightenment gave birth to free thinking and science, and and that gave rise to modernism. Yeah. So, so for the uninitiated, give us a working definition of modernism. So, modernism is there is observe you know the world can be understood, and we can know everything about the world from observable phenomena right. and things that exist outside of observable phenomena cannot be believed in because they are not, or can't have no basis in reality because they are non-observable. Right. And and to go back to the religiosity point, that didn't mean that these people reject, rejected or neglected God. It One thing that was really brilliant, and a lot of the philosophers elucidated this at the time, was that God can't be proven. And if you could prove him, he wouldn't be God. Sure, yeah. Right? Yeah. And uh, 
so then you so you have modernism and the other thing I'll point out just to tack on to your your definition there is the the primary unit was the individual it had moved from the collective it was no sure. longer the serfdom it was the individual who could be con- who you, could be considered divine do you tie that to modernism as an idea cuz see i see i see modernism so i think uh, maybe we should do this just for our own clarity's sake I see modernism as not necessarily containing the two ideas you just put forward. Like I feel, and what I mean by that is, I feel like modernism comes after these early scientists who, uh, who start down these rules and laws and everything like that. And then, and then, in addition to that, I, I feel like um, modernism rejects God in a lot of ways because it's not something that's there. It, it, do do you not see that same no, scope? I, I I see that too. I I think that I was I was saying for the as far as religion was concerned, uh-huh. it definitely increased skeptic skepticism in general toward religion. But sure. specifically, some of the philosophers noted that it, oh, okay. it wasn't necessary to prove God because sure. if you could, he wouldn't be God. I was just that's that's a side point. Yeah. Uh, okay. No, in general, during the Enlightenment, skepticism for religion increased. Sure. Um, and then, yeah, no, I would say individualism though was a component of modernism. It's a, um, it, okay, it definitely. I, can that. It, I, I don't think it was the culmination of individualism. I would no. say that you have to wait for the West to really find that right. the true West. But, but like I don't. It know was I, it was the it was the beginning of that idea. Yeah, I don't know if I would like say that modernism owns the idea of the individual, but I would say that modernism definitely works because of this idea of the individual, like. Right. Oh, reason can get you somewhere. You can be. You can think through something by yourself. You can observe things, and you can actually find truth. And I think that I think that's in modernism. But I don't think that means. But I. But I think that that you know we are individuals seeking out. We are we are individuals, not a group or a collective. I don't know if that necessarily. I think that comes before modernism. I, I, some other philosophy, probably. I, I think. Yeah. I, I'll I'll say it this way. It it was vastly progressed by the modernist movement. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. yeah. So where where it's exactly started, I don't know, but I would say that at the pre and post enlightenment yeah. at least there's a pretty clear delineation between the ethos of the day being collectivism and then afterwards the ethos of the day being individualism. Sure. So yeah. anyway, let's keep going. So give me one second just the levels Okay, so you have that backdrop. Well, then what happened? Well, war happened in a lot of ways. Uh, yeah, Nietzsche and then war, right? Like yeah. those, those are like like Nietzsche predicted what would happen to us as a society, and then correctly predicted war and thousand. Uh, how many? He, I think he correctly predicted like millions of people would die in the nineteenth or in the twentieth century, century, and then yeah. they did. And he was exactly right. Yep. Um, so, so and Nietzsche is a brilliant thinker. We we could devote a lot of time to Nietzsche. You could um, devote like a lot of time to a paragraph Nietzsche wrote. Yeah, like precisely. Yeah. So, so, but we had this idea that the that truth was obtainable, mm-hmm. and that you could find it by being observant. You could find it by paying attention. I think this is probably like a really good spot to just put in a couple of 
key notes that Nietzsche put in because I really feel like Nietzsche is the culmination of modernist thought. Like I think he just I think he just answers some of the questions really really well. Okay, so let's hit it fast. Yeah. So like, point one being like, um, Nietzsche thought that you know we had to get rid of all our presuppositions to look at everything we saw as you know as like data and we could come and if the philosophers who thought like that they could come to ideas that were the truth essentially like the correct way to act the correct way to think and the correct way to see things right right then he thought that people would have to develop their own morality become supermen essentially and he called it supermen like beyond what normal men does and create their own morals but Nietzsche thought that common people wouldn't be able to do that that this was something reserved for philosophers to define for other people or to bring all other people to supermen right essentially. And, and so and go ahead uh, very individualistic uh, that, extremely that's that's true except pretty pretty much pretty much thought that some people were not capable of what he was discussing right yeah but I think the thing that is like key here is like when we jump into postmodernism is Nietzsche tends to not really Nietzsche kind of sets the groundwork for you know the only way for any meaning to come out of modernism and is this development of your own values and these values have to be very carefully constructed by uh, by extremely intelligent people. And I think that's the modernist view. But I think once you open up the door to modernism, and as Nietzsche puts it, you know, like, you know, when God is taken out of the picture, you know, who gave us the sponge to wipe the clouds away? It's like once everyone can start kind of create, once everyone can start thinking this way and creating their own value, it becomes very, very, very hard not to live in a postmodernist society. Right, and we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah. Tell, just explain in two sentences or less. Yeah what Nietzsche was saying when he said God is dead. So what Nietzsche was saying when he said God is dead is that we had decided to neglect God because we had proven he doesn't exist through modernist thought, but this was a travesty that we would actually have to create. We were losing the morals, the common stories, the meta narratives that had defined our lives for right. centuries were taken out, and we needed to like it, it, this is the cool. Uh, we needed to create new sacred games in order to continue life as we know it. Because if we weren't able to do that, death and war were coming. And 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 the reason he correctly identified it as a travesty is because right. he was right. It yes. was specifically the fact. It, a lot of the atheists love to quote Nietzsche, God is dead. Yeah. Because he's a brilliant man. But right. he wasn't, he was lamenting when he said that. Right. He wasn't excited about it. And the, and that was what made him say we would need these supermen. It's a very We would need this, this, these enhanced morals. Right. And he, again, correctly identified that very many people wouldn't be capable of it. It's a very Jungian uh, lament of God dying from a modernist perspective. Sure. Yeah. So then, so we, so we built ourselves up. We had these institutions. We had the science. We had the factories. We had this industrial revolution that occurred. And we thought these are the things that will catapult us into the forward and into the future because our lives are getting much easier. We're fighting with nature less. How, what could go wrong? Well, we learned again about the true malevolence of man. Right. And malevolence of man backed up by the power of the institution. Mm-hmm. I, I use that word specifically, power of the institution is devastating and costs 
many, many lives. The price that we paid was blood yep. for using power in this way. And that was the thought, that was the seed that planted the tree that grew into postmodernism. And it's it, it, so much good stuff is here that we're just glossing over. Oh, yeah. Like, like, just look at, just do yourself a favor and go read the poetry from, like, people that fought in World War One. Like, there's a couple of them, but it's just, like, look at what that led to. Like, yeah. it's or, horrifying. Or look at uh, Pablo Picasso's, uh, what is it? Uh, I don't know the Spanish word. I want to say the French word. Guerra, I think. Mm. Guerra? I can't remember exactly. Uh, but some of the paintings that Picasso did after World War One. Yeah. Horrifying stuff. Yeah. And and uh, then you continue... Then you have the rise of the Soviet Union. Right. And communism. World War II. Marxism. Yep. And all of these things spring from postmodernism. So postmodernism is a reactionary movement to modernism. It can't exist without it. Correct. And... And postmodernism turned around, looked over its shoulder, and said, "Yeah, a lot of good you guys did." And they said, <laughs> "And they said, and fair enough." And fair, it's a it's fair a fair enough. critique. And right. by the way, postmodernism, perfectly viable way to critique the world, yeah, and a perfectly viable way to look at the world. But there's the conclusions that you draw. The, the first, uh, we'll get there. There's one conclusion Th- of postmodernism that is very dry. good. Yeah. But there's a second conclusion of postmodernism that's deadly. So postmodernism looked at modernism and said guess what you thought you could figure it out on your own and you were wrong right and a lot and, and you paid it with your blood and we won't make the same mistakes and so they, they also looked at what was so costly at what was the uh the arbiter of the that payment that we had to make mm. and it was power mm. it was the power behind the institution so they claimed thus that there are an infinite amount of ways to interpret the data in the world Instead of the modernist claim that you can interpret the data and find truth, they said that based on frame of reference and based on uh, your own internal struggle, there was an infinite number of ways to interpret that data. Uh, hedonists like Oliver, uh, Oscar Wilde, excuse me, sure. were like very, very bought into this. That language was something you can't communicate with because everyone is going to have a different definition of a word. Right, right. That and and. So what if there's if there's no truth in the world? What they didn't, what they maybe didn't realize they were doing at the time. When I say they, I'm talking about Derrida and Foucault, right? And some of these early 19, 1900s postmodernist thinkers, um, they effectively abolished meaning because actually meaning requires truth, right? And the, it, it gave rise to nihilism. Nihilism is a is a a outgrowth of postmodernism, which I love a bunch of things about nihilism. I find it hilarious. Nihilism humor is fantastic. Yeah, but nihilistic nihilistic people suck. Right. Um, so anyhow, here's the second claim of postmodernism. So they looked at the data and said, you can't find the truth. Correct. And then they looked at the power. And they said the only reason that one truth or one interpretation is valued above another interpretation is because of a power struggle. Right. Is because of a power differential between the holders of the ideas. So two really good analogies right here uh, for the first one. And this is a good critique of, post, of modernism. Modernism says by observing all the observable phenomena, you can make a correct claim about existence. Well, right. think about... Or the, a moral claim. Think about this. What if I am... Yeah, or moral. Uh, think about this. What if I ask you to describe to me how to smile at someone in such a way that they smile back at you, right? It's, right. A, it's a difficult task because as you start to think about it, first you have to think about how you're all the muscles in your face, 
need to perform in order to create that. And there's muscles in your face that are smiling that you're not aware of. All right. You got to think about, you know, the different genetic problems you come with to that problem if you have an overbite or whatever. If you're ugly, they're not smiling back, homie. <laughs> right. And like but that's that's real. Like some people don't look as good as other people. The symmetry in their faces and the goal is to smile at someone so they smile back at you. Right. That is the problem. Now think of all the things that the person that you could be smiling at has. They may be having a hard day. They may be angry. They may be sad. All of these things complicate the problem even more. They might be a hot single girl at the bar and you look like an ogre. Now think about like place time all the can you smile at someone in the past and do so and do so that they smile in the future right that's a movie like it's not it's not in it's not so let's short circuit this a little bit let me get to the final thing what the thing here is though if i tell you just to look at someone and i say smile them so they smile back and i don't ask you to explain it you do it Right. And that's the thing that modernism can't account for, is how did we get from here to here? Right. And that's that was part of what they were thinking. They were go, they were overwhelmed. Right. We, we really overwhelmed ourselves. We didn't know how to handle some of the data that we were taking in. Right. And it's, it is daunting. And it's also... It is daunting the amount of data. And in this critique, the postmodernists are correct. Right. There is an infinite amount of data, nearly we, infinite amount of data in the universe, and we don't have the actual physical means to contain it. There's not enough hard drives in existence to contain the data that could be captured. But somehow you have the value structure to see the proper data in the moment and can act on it without knowing. Based on your frame of reference. Right. But, but they were right. There is an infinite number of ways to interpret a near infinite set of data. Exactly. And so they're not wrong. Here's where they got wrong. They said that the only way that one data published itself above another was, was power. Right. And that's false. Right. And they should have seen it coming. And also, it's a self-defeating principle, isn't it? Because the I, they're, they're claiming that there can't be any interpretations at all, and then they interpret that. It's bizarre. It's a very... It doesn't stand up. It, it falls down immediately. It's circular reasoning, and it's self-defeating. Mm-hmm. And, and, and directly. I hope I explained that well enough to help people understand it. But right. Words have infinite meanings. Therefore, the only meanings that stand up in culture are those that appeal to power. What? You can't say that because yeah, you, you just said everything before didn't have any meaning. Right. So you can, you're done. You're not allowed to make both claims. Right. So, so the second claim is deadly wrong. Mm-hmm. And, and it's borne out by – and now is probably as good a time as any to, to talk about truth. Yeah. What is truth? Yeah. And so I think that there are physical realities, right? Like grass appears to be green. Sure. The sky appears to be blue. Sure. At least most of the time it appears to be green, and most of the time it appears to be blue. Right. In white light, let's mm-hmm. say. Mm-hmm. Then, so there's these physical realities, and those are truth. There's facts. There, there's historical facts, like Hunter and I just made a drive together. Correct. Right. But are those the base level of truth? Right. And I would argue that they're not. I think that there's deeper truth to be had, and that truth is based on this principle and the postmodernists should have seen it they should have seen it there is an infinite number of truths there is an infinite number of ways to to determine uh reality and to to interpret reality but not all of them are equal not all of them are as good as the other one and the way that you measure them is when you live out that set that reality and you live out the actions that would dictate appropriate given those realities and those facts do you achieve your goals? Right. Do, do, do the truths work? Are they functional? 
And they should have looked over their shoulder at the atomic bomb and said, obviously not. Mm. Obviously not all of them. Right. But they didn't. This, and so, yeah. and, and that's postmodernism. So Derrida and Foucault wrote extensively about how you had to take a supposition and break it down into its component parts and look at it from each and every angle until it didn't make sense anymore and then try and put it back together and you'll never look at a fork the same way again. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Th mm -hmm. These were their actual writings and and it it was very nihilistic because now nothing meant anything. Right. But it was also very self-serving in a way. And the reason that it was self-serving is because they they the only reason people had more than you is because it wasn't because they were better than you. It wasn't because they were smarter than you. It wasn't because they, they worked harder. Better. They worked harder. It wasn't that. It was because power structures that ha that had no meaning had propped them up, and they were using them to oppress you. Right. And and additionally, there also was no right or wrong. Correct. There was only right or wrong for you, mm. and that could be variable mm. uh, based on a point of view change. And so there was no sin. Yep. Sin. Missing didn't the mark. exist. Missing the mark. Not necessarily your... I, I'm not talking about religious sin. I'm just yeah. saying that there, there's no... And, and then there's no shame. Correct. And it's an incredibly liberating idea. And, you know, you can... I love liberty, but there is... There's a certain amount of freedom where you're totally untethered. Right. You know? I don't want to be... I don't want to be liberated from planet Earth. I want to be grounded. I want to be tethered to something because mm -hmm. I don't exist in space. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so you have you have this movement come up, and it's very nihilistic, and it's very aggressive, it's very anti-modern, and so and its followers, let's be honest, were somewhat militant. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have the big purveyors of postmodern thought. Uh, of course, we mentioned Derrida, uh, Marx. Yeah. Marx was a, a massive postmodernist. His treatise was basically about a revolution between the bourgeois and the proletariat. What is that? It's a power struggle. Correct. It, it's based on a postmodern uh, post uh, mandate that the only reason some had and some did, had not was a power differential. And that there was no truth to be gleaned from the differences in those people. Yep. And so, and he envisioned a bloody battle in which we would reorganize society. And then he coupled that with another postmodernism, a postmodernist idea, communism. Mm. So, so really we should define a couple terms right here. Okay. Communism is the social ownership of the means of production. Correct. Right? Yep. Uh, democratic socialism, slightly different. It's the public ownership of the means of production. E.g., I don't see any difference between democratic socialism and socialism. You can say that there's a, de a democracy system sta stapled onto one. How else would you instantiate socialism, e.g., the social ownership of the means of production, without that system? Right. That's called, that's tyranny. Right. So, yeah, duh. Requires a gun. Yeah, we get it. We yeah. get it, man. It's, I, we, we, and I have a, I have a bunch of, um, of intelligent uh, democratic socialist friends. We should have them in the backseat to debate sometime. But, That'd be fun, yeah. But um, anyhow, very similar. Marxism is not a system of, of economic reform. It's a philosophy mm. by which we achieve communism. Right. Would you agree with that? Uh, yeah, yeah that, that all sounds right to me. And so, so uh, and, and of course, 
Marxism's famous adage and and communism's also applied each according to their ability each according to their need correct right so you have that Karl Marx and then Marxism gets picked up by the Soviet Union yep Marxism gets picked up in Italy the Italian fascists um Marxism gets picked up in China uh, as the you know the People's Republic of China the now communist dictatorship on. yeah you have these Marxist bubbles pop up and they're quite aggressive they're incredibly yeah. aggressive uh it, it, here's the other thing that you have in America. Two things, interestingly enough, um, and one of them is going to sound totally conspiratorial until you actually look it up. Lenin, of course, hated America. He hated the West. And uh, look up Bella Dodd is her name. But there was actually a KGB initiative to infiltrate the Catholic Church with, I think the quote is, intelligent young men with loose morals or with no morals to infiltrate the Catholic Church because the Soviets knew um, in fact I can't remember his name Antonio Antonio something I can't remember his name right now but the leader of the Communist Party in Italy said how will we destroy the West if we don't destroy the Catholic Church wow brilliant yeah. I, I mean it's right on the nose and he's not wrong I mean that's that was the that was the one step away from Anglicanism that gave you Protestantism but anyhow um you have you have literal other countries infiltrating uh, the churches in America. Right. The Protestantism. You also had um, the Derrida's ilk and Foucault's ilk from France infiltrating the university. Mm -hmm. And it's it was not a mistake. They intentionally wanted to infiltrate the university and spread these ideas. And they did, quite effectively, and we're still under that thumb. Right. I mean, the humanities departments are laden with postmodernists. Right. Uh, think of women's studies, a purely postmodern idea. idea. Just, just in concept. It, it, like, it, it's not something that really stands up to modernist thought. Right. Well, well think about all these words. Uh, trigger warning. It, I, I could offend you because of your subjectivity. Correct. Even if what I'm saying is not inherently offensive. Correct. Feminism. Uh, third wave feminism, especially, the idea that that in a lot of ways m men in general like ta toxic masculinity, mm -hmm. being masculine of its own nature is toxic, right? Um, which is a feminist adage. Then you have, let's say, um, uh, t t t t t social justice, right? Social justice. Oh, it doesn't matter if you're actually guilty. There's no objective truth there. If your group is guilty because of we, a power differential, we then be, we'll, yeah. we'll find you guilty. We we should be careful in saying that. Not that there aren't areas where social justice is needed, or if you can say social justice, absolutely. But like, here's a good word for social justice, right? Justice. Yeah, justice. Exactly. Applied throughout the society. Yeah, justice. Justice is already blind, and it already should help everywhere. So it's like when you say social justice. Are you talking about it becomes it becomes this power struggle? The I, power I, struggle exists. I think you're degrading justice whenever correct. you tax social onto the front. Yeah, I think I think that's a proper way to think of it. So, you and uh, safe spaces, the right. places you go to avoid trigger warnings, to avoid trigger warnings, to, uh, to avoid to avoid uh, oppressive power that's in the you know world because of things that are you know people, uh, but people have like propped things up or something you know, and they've there's this issue with, you know, like you're trying to retreat to the space to get away from the way culture has maligned you by your group. Right. And because you got microaggressed. Because, yes. Right. Or, 
Or perhaps there's, you know, something that's happened that tricks you up or make, it gets you offended and it's, you know, a place to go to be safe because you shouldn't feel that way and you should have a place to know that you're accepted for the way you are. And it's like, in how does that add up when we're discussing a modernist view? Right, the it, modernist university was a highly offensive place. Highly offensive. Because, where we're cutting up cadavers, you know, seconds after they die. Right. And now, uh, and you'd be fully on, full on traumatized at a modern university. I that think happened. the I think the thing that is so um, difficult to get here is like the problem is having conversations with people is becoming untenable because here's the deal: if I want to need to cut it right, words don't have a meaning anymore. Correct, because if I sit down with Christopher and he is taking a postmodernist stance and I'm taking a modernist stance and I come with facts, reasons, statistics and line things up and say this is the way I see things and this is the way, you know, the world acts and this is, you know, this is my evidence for how the world acts. This is, and you know, here's a narrative of where it was observed that this is happening. Here's 15 narratives. Here's a thousand narratives, right? Like I can do that from a modernist standpoint, but all that he has to do from the postmodernist standpoint is say, I don't th- feel that way. I, I don't well, feel, uh, I, or I, I think the truth is this. My truth is this. Or even worse than that is everything you just said is propped up because of the power that's already right. in society. Right. And it's like, well, then we don't have anything. We don't have anything to discuss. And my conversation is, just goes right past him. His conversation goes right past me. And we don't reach anything. And the thing is, people aren't doing this consciously. But they are doing it subconsciously, and it's a group of people that don't know how to talk anymore. I, like, remember last week when I said that ideology... See, this specific ideology is having a demonic ability to possess. Sure, yeah. You don't have to be thinking for yourself. Right. Because why think for yourself if you can't find anything out? Right. Just load your ideology and run script. And it works. And, and it works really great. We've incentivized it in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. But here's the kicker. This this thinking and those that executed it on a on a large scale killed more people in the in the 20th century than all of the battles and wars combined. Right, all of them. The cost we thought the cost of the nuclear bomb was bad at Nagasaki and Hiroshima. It was nothing. It was a flash in the pan compared to what postmodern thinking and the institutions that rose out of it would reek upon the face of the globe in the 20th century. Yep. And go check out the Soviet Union. Look up the look up uh Lenin's fields, Lenin's killing fields. Right. I, I mean it, it is obscene. I can't it rem- is obscene. Look at what it's doing in Venezuela right now. This this communist ethos. I can't remember if it was which communist uh, or who it was in Russia, I believe it was Joseph Stalin, on his deathbed, uh, before he died, took both of his fists, and the last act he committed before he died was shaking his fist towards the heavens. Yeah. If that's not a great idea, is if, if that doesn't, like, sum up what a postmodernist is trying to do, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know what else does. Uh- it's a brilliant image. It is. So And so to get to where we kind of ended last week, when I say that this ideology is coming for the West, 
it's deadly and it's true and it's mm -hmm. by design. Yeah. The communists did it on purpose. The KGB did it on purpose. Derrida and his his French postmodern associates invaded the universities in America on purpose and the evidence is clear and the price is blood. Correct. And more blood than modernism ever delivered to us. And so that's why these conversations are important. That's why it's time to start taking an interest in philosophy and truth and religion and science yeah. and literature. It's time to quit playing and games. Take them seriously. Take it seriously. Mm -hmm. Because idea the pen is mightier than the sword. Efficaced by the fact that the pen convinced the sword to go work overtime in Russia, mm -hmm. to work overtime in Germany, mm -hmm. to work overtime in China, yeah. to work overtime in Korea and Vietnam. To work overtime in the Middle East. To work overtime in South America. Yeah. It, it, it is, it's deadly and we have to defend ourselves against it. So get engaged. Yeah. So that was good. We could potentially have made that two discussions, but I uh, think... We might I, have to come back here. We might have to come back here, but I think if nothing else, you guys probably have got like a good introductory if there's a specific specific part of that i think that grabbed your attention you know write it back to us maybe we can go in more detail there but and Get also on our website carl pooling where carl we have pooling. the link to our email address which is carlpooling at gmail.com carlpooling.com is the website yeah uh follow us on twitter I'm at carl pooling at carl pooling you can follow me at emotional carl and i'm at chris x carl and until then kiddos this is the second episode of Carl Pooling. Hope you learned a little something about postmodernism and uh, why you should why you should sleep with one eye open. This has been Carl Pooling. Hey kiddos, drive safe.